Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us in our series, Easter, The Jesus Way. Jesus is our ultimate example for how we should live our lives. In this series, we are looking at Jesus's ministry, from his calling to his victory over the grave. We are walking alongside his journey to the cross, to his death and burial, and then to his resurrection. Each week, we will be deep diving into chapters 15 through 21 of the Gospel of John, leading us all the way to celebrate Christ's victory over the grave on Easter Sunday. Now let's tune in. Good morning. Happy Easter. My name is Nick Allen, and I'm blessed and privileged to get to be the campus pastor of this location of Rolling Hills. If I haven't got a chance to meet you before, at the close of the service, I'll be in the back by a welcome banner. I've got a first-time gift for you. Stop by and get that, because it's, it's good. You don't want to miss it. I'm really glad that you chose to be here today. I have a question for us this morning. Have you ever said yes to something that you regret later? 100%. I want you to meet Fred and Ethel. They are our five-year-old bunny rabbits. Um, both are either girls or both are either boys. Either way, we've never had any more than just Fred or Ethel, so I know that whatever they are, they are the same. And I can tell you right now that two is far more than enough, and that in a moment of parenting weakness, Susan and I said, it's easy, easy, easy to say no to an animal. It's really hard to say yes and then take it away. Just that's my parenting, free parenting advice today. Like it's much easier to say no to a pet than to say yes to a pet and then live to regret it. And yet here they are. Happy Easter from Fred and Ethel. <laughs> so I've been at Rolling Hills Community Church for 16 years. I started um, my career here first at our Franklin campus working in middle school and high school ministry with teenagers. And then that moved into a season where I was doing kids ministry. And so a lot of my ministry career has been all in the educational side of young people learning Bible stories and understanding what it means to follow Jesus. And we used to go to these leadership conferences. And one time we were in Atlanta, Georgia with 6,000 other kids and student pastors from all over the country. Um, Y'all, that was a rip roaring wild time. You get all of us together under one big roof and it's a whole lot of mayhem. And they did this thing where they invited volunteers from the auditorium, from the big arena that we were in to come on stage. I'm not going to invite you to do that this morning. But if I did, it might be for a game like this, where random people came on the stage and then they asked them, will you say yes to whatever question we put behind you on the screen that you can't see? As these people with all of those eyes and all that peer pressure walked up to the center of a stage into a microphone and they could not see the question that they were being asked behind them, but all 6,000 of us could see the question that they were being asked behind them. Folks got asked questions like, sir, can we turn your pants into shorts? And so the guy standing there not knowing what the question was behind him just said, 
Yes, and here comes a very strategic volunteer who, without hurting him in any way, cut the bottom of his pants legs off in front of all of us cheering and celebrating what was going on. Will you say yes? This girl walks out to the center of the stage to singing the song that we're about to play, and she just says yes, and they hand her a mic, and she has to sit there and karaoke it along in front of all of us. Will you say yes to whatever comes up on the screen behind you to giving me $20 out of your pocket? And this guy just had to pull out of his wallet and fork it over right there in front of all of us. And what we didn't realize until the very last person walked out, that this whole thing was a setup from the very beginning because a girl walks out to the center of the stage. She is more afraid than any of the other people who came before her. And she's standing there and they say, will you say yes to whatever comes on that screen? And she's just like, yes. And we all start cheering because the question behind her on the screen is, will you marry me? And when she turns around and sees it, there's a guy down on one knee who we can only assume is somebody that she knew before that minute. (laughs) She said yes and cried. Half the people in the arena did too. You got to be careful for what you say yes to. You know, every one of us has a boundary or a limit to how far our yes will go. Lots of times my kids will come out, Dad, can we ask you a question? Well, you can, but it doesn't mean I know what the answer is going to be. We all have a limit to the things that we will say yes to and the things that we will believe in. We dive here today into a passage of Scripture that is supposed to chronicle our entire faith. What I want to know today, it's right here for us in the beginning. Have you said yes to the crucifixion and not only that, but also to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You may have said, yes, I believe in a historical figure. I believe that he said good things. I believe that miraculously somehow he even did a few good things. But if you haven't said yes to the crucifixion and you haven't said yes to the resurrection, then you really haven't said yes to Jesus. Maybe you believe in somebody that was even martyred for his faith as one point in a defining historical moment, but whether or not you have said yes beyond the crucifixion to the actual resurrection of Jesus and understood that his sacrificial price was for our sin, then you haven't fully said yes to Jesus. You did say yes to this morning, and you're here, and I'm really I'm really glad about that. Maybe you said yes to this Sunday morning experience because you say yes to every Sunday morning experience. And I see you every week and I'm high-fiving you because you're committed to this and you want to be a part of this. Well, maybe you said yes to this and this is one out of two Sundays a year where the body of Christ gets to engage with you because Christmas and Easter, they're kind of our thing and we want to celebrate church in those ways. And so you said yes to being here on this day as opposed to any other day because there's some sort of meaning in it for you and you want to be connected to this in some way. Maybe you said yes because someone invited you, and I hope that in the last 25 minutes you've not regretted that yes. And I hope that after the next 25 minutes you'll have found a whole host of other reasons to say yes again and again and again. Maybe you're here because somehow or another You finally come to a point where you recognize that life is falling apart, but not just life is falling apart, but like our whole city and the whole world are falling apart. Maybe you're here because 
You're a portion of our city that continues to grieve the loss that we've experienced. And you're a portion of our city that's rallying, going, what in the world is wrong? And how in the world are we going to fix it? And what you've come to realize is that the pundits and the politicians are only going to posture in these moments. And so that is definitely not the solution. Well, what is the solution going to be? And somebody that you know, whether it was your grandmother that's no longer here or your neighbor that is honestly a little bit kind of weird, somebody that you know has publicly declared that Jesus is the way. When we feel like all those things are circling the drain and falling apart somehow or another. He has a hope and a peace and a joy and a purpose that we can't find anywhere else. And so you came to check it out for yourself to give this place a test drive and see whether or not this is something you can say yes to. I don't care why you're here. I'm just glad that you are. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this. It's a, it's a significant word for us. It says in him. It's talking about Jesus. We have redemption through his blood. The blood that he shed on a cross. It's the forgiveness of our sins. And it's in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Indicating to us that we don't earn it or deserve it. But that he freely gives it. It's redemption. And I thought about that word this week. Because there's really no other context in our life. Except for maybe one or two that we use it. We use it for coupons, Right? You redeem a coupon. It's something that you take with you when you go because it gets you a discount or a saving. You redeem Southwest points. And maybe you've gotten to take one of those trips and you, you're bragging to all the other people. You probably paid more for your ticket than I did because I redeemed some points. It's something that you saved, something that you collected, something that you put together and that you brought to the table. And so you redeemed it and you got something that was really good. And it, Does anybody have the Jenny's ice cream app on your phone? You get 100 points, you get $5 off your next purchase. Some of y'all just judged me. I'm okay with it. Because I got a wife and three kids, a dog and two bunnies. We get more points than y'all. That's not the word in Scripture. Redeemed isn't something that you and I cash in. It's not something that we bring to the table. It's not something that we collect from. It's the word apolotorosis, and it's Greek. And what it means is something very different than what we think about. It means releasing due to the payment of a ransom. You didn't bring it to the table, but somebody paid it on your behalf. It means deliverance. It means liberated. And so we can go back and and read that verse. In him we're liberated. In him we're delivered. In him, we're released and we're free because somebody else paid our ransom and now our sins are forgiven. And the only reason it happened is not because of something you and I turned in or cashed in or we brought to the table because there's nothing redeemable about us. God in his love and in his grace, he gave it to us. And the whole reason that was ever even possible is because Jesus stepped up and said, yes. John 18, four, he wasn't towing a stage, not knowing what the question was. He knew from the beginning what we would cost him. He said yes to a cross. He said yes to the cruelest form of execution. He said yes to being abandoned by everybody that ever promised to remain with him. He said yes to the scorn and the shame and the abuse. He said yes to death so that he could offer us life. John chapter 19, it's where we were last week in verse 30. It says when Jesus literally had taken the drink, he, he, he said it is finished. 
And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. What he's saying is, it's finished. The price is fully paid. Everybody that's going to be redeemed now has the payment that they need in order to be redeemed. The wrath of God against the sin of a wretched world has now been paid, and it's been paid in full. The very first and the very best part of the Easter story and celebrating it is understanding you and I believing with everything that we are that Christ died but then reconciling in our hearts that we're the reason why he had to do it. But it's Easter Sunday, and we get to turn the page, and we get to, we get to say that he didn't stay dead, that he is alive. Romans 10, 9 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it's both. It's declaring in your heart that Jesus is Lord. He is God in flesh and he came to save us. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. God couldn't have raised him from the dead unless he was first dead. So with your mouth, you're declaring that the reason Jesus is Lord is because he died and because he came back to life. And that's the way for us to be redeemed. That's the way for us to be saved. And that's what this book is asking us to say yes to. Maybe you said yes to that a long time ago. Maybe you're contemplating saying yes to that now. Maybe you have a whole host of reasons why you're just not so sure that you can say yes to this. Kimber mentioned it moments ago, but on your worship guide, you've got notes that you can follow along, fill in blanks. If if writing stuff down helps you stay awake, I encourage you to do it. As we go through these passages of Scripture from John chapter 20 together, and at the bottom of it, there's a connection card. We invite you to tell us who you are and allow us to follow up with you later this week, especially if you're a first-time guest. But it's really for all of us this week, because on the back of it is an option for you to indicate what have you said yes to. So let's dive into John chapter 20 together, starting in verse 1. It says, early on the first day of the week, and if you ever wondered why we don't worship on on what a historical Sabbath might be, from, from Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown, but the reason that we gather on Sunday morning, the first day, it's this one right here, because early on the first day of the week, that's the part that we want to mark. That's what's significant to our faith. It said, while it was still dark, I started drinking coffee at 4.45 this morning, and I have not stopped yet, so I get it, Mary Magdalene. I see you, girl. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. And we know that other passages of Scripture are supporting this, that she went with other women and that she's carrying burial spices. We had to get him off the cross quick because the chief priests and the elders, they didn't want a dead body hanging up there on the Sabbath. And so Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, a Pharisee, had buried Jesus and embalmed him quickly. And now the women go to finish what's happening. And what she saw was that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And it was way too big of a stone for any one man to move, and certainly not any one woman or a few women to move. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. And all through this book, if you start in John chapter 1, there's a reference made over and over and over again to the disciple that Jesus loved. Doesn't even say his name, but we know he's talking about himself, John, BFF. It's basically just a dig to the other disciples and the rest of us that Jesus liked him best. He said, running to the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. There's still no assumption. In spite of the fact that Jesus had been preparing them for this, in spite of the fact that he had said, okay, yeah, the Son of Man, that's me, is going to be handed over to the hands of men, and he's going to be crucified, and then he's going to be restored and reclaimed in this life. There's still no understanding that that could possibly be the scenario of what's going on here in the moment. There's still no comprehension that Jesus might actually be alive. And I want to pause for a second, and I said I wasn't going to do this, but I have to do this. Old Testament law 
and New Testament practice made no room for the testimony of women. Made no room for women to be able to deliver any sort of reliable news. It was said that words of the law should be burned before ever being delivered to or by a woman. And what we note as a people here today is that in his life and even through his death, Jesus is standing with and speaking up for the oppressed. I can't pass this by without making some sort of acknowledgement that the very first people to see and to recognize and realize and be told that Jesus Christ was not in fact dead in a tomb, but alive was a woman. It's It's a damaging thing that remains an issue in our world and sadly in our churches. And it's way more man-made than it is God's way. Y'all should not have let me get off on that tangent. (laughs) Verse 3, Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. And I love this detail. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So not only does Jesus like him better, but he's a faster runner. Um, And I will say that I have completed in my lifetime, you may not believe it, but I do have pictures to prove it if you need to see them. I have completed, I did not say that I was good at it, but that I finished a half marathon, a full marathon, a Ragnar Relay, and a whole host of other really much shorter races. It's been years since I did this, but I was running a marathon in 2016. And I always had this strategy on long distance runs that I would find somebody that was running just a little bit better than me and I would try to keep up with them. Because if they began to outpace me, I would just try to, because that's how I could finish even stronger than I ever did before. And I got to the last four miles of that marathon and there was a girl that was just a little bit ahead of me and I was like, she's got a pace that I'm not used to keeping up with, but I'm gonna strive with everything that I have to stay as close to that as I possibly can. And as we rounded the corner and we saw the arch that we were gonna run under and we saw the time in those red digits telling us just how fast we were doing it. She stopped before she even got to it and started sobbing. And I don't know what was going on with her in the moment. And I certainly thought that the right thing to do in that second was to stop and to check on her, but I passed her. (laughs) And I got there faster. I have no idea what was going on with Peter and, and why he didn't get there first. But there comes John and he He reached the tomb, and he bent over in verse 5, and he looked at the strips of linen that were lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him, and he went straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, we are not going to let this go, (laughs) also went inside. He saw and believed, verse 9. But they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And we read that in English and we miss something really important because three times in that passage of Scripture it says who looked and what they looked at at the very beginning. It's like, okay, there's John. He gets to the tomb first. He doesn't go all the way in, but he peers inside and he sees, he looks, and he sees the strips of cloth. And that word, if you go back to the Greek language, it's a different word for look. It's like, oh, he just took a glance and he saw what was there. Some of you have come to the idea that you can just take a glance at Jesus. You can just know a little bit about the story. You can just recognize, hey, there's churches on every corner in Nashville. They all believe, eh, 
at something maybe similar, maybe different, but I can look over at it and see, yeah, there's some people out there that believe in Jesus, and maybe there's a reason why, but it's just a cursory glance. And then Peter gets in. He goes all the way into the tomb. He sees the linen. He sees the cloth. He sees what was wrapped around Jesus' head. He sees it neatly laying there, and he observes. It's a whole different for the different word for saw or looked. He observed. He studied. He tried to figure out what was going on. Some of you have gone beyond just a cursory look at Jesus. You've you've opened up the pages of this book. You've studied what they say. You may have even memorized parts of it. You know that there's some things that happen in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and 1 and 2 Samuel. And you know there are some passages from the Psalms. Sometimes we sing them out loud. And you know that there are some gospel good stories about Jesus being born and Jesus doing miracles and, and Jesus teaching people things. Like You know and you've studied what some of this might mean to some people. But then finally John goes in and it says he saw and believed. That's not a cursory glance. It's not even careful study and observation. It's the kind of seeing, it's the kind of looking that perceives. The definition is that to look and perceive with insight and with comprehension. Something about what was missing that day started to make even just a little bit more sense to John. Think about for a second everything that these guys in three years had witnessed. They saw crippled people walk. They saw people that were born blind see. They saw people who could not hear and speak speak. They saw demons cast out. They saw storms calmed. They saw, they saw one of their own walk on water. They heard the words that Jesus spoke, and they recognized, along with the crowds that gathered around him, that he spoke as somebody with a whole different kind of authority than anybody else that they had ever heard speak before. They saw a tiny little lunch all of a sudden be multiplied to enough to feed a multitude. They had seen and experienced so much, but they never fully comprehended the evidence. And now that they have an empty tomb, here's what I love the most. The people who saw and experienced all that are still a little bit confused. Doesn't that give you just a little bit of relief for your own doubt? It does me. It says in verse 10, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. It's where they went after Jesus died. Not to the temple where he taught, not to the garden where they last saw him praying. They didn't go back to Galilee to see if they could find him teaching. They just went back to where they were staying in a room, afraid, and they locked the doors in fear, probably wondering if they were going to be next. And then it says, now Mary, she must have remained because she stood outside the tomb crying, and it's a deep groaning it says in verse 11, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she didn't see just the strips of cloth. She didn't just see the linen lying in the seat. She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she says, they have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. Have you ever lost something you just couldn't find it or, or went looking for something and it just would not turn up. The length of time that it takes you to find something, no, depending on how long it takes you to, to adequately search and find something, that's how much your stress level increases. When you can't find, it's in your notes, when you can't find that thing, whether it's your keys, whether it's your wallet, whether it's your mind, I get it. 
when you can't find what you're looking for, your stress is never just going to dissipate. It's only going to increase. And I'll just say, somebody might ask, oh, why is the world so broken? Why is the world so messed up? It's because we continue to look for the right thing in all the wrong places. And with every day that passes that we can't find the peace and the hope and the love and the joy and the purpose that we're looking for, our stress level only increases. Mary stood outside the tomb crying and she still hasn't found what she's looking for. Y'all just heard a U2 song in your head. I did too. still don't know where they put him. And in verse 14, at this, she turned around and she saw Jesus. Hold on, it's not quite there yet. She saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking it was the gardener? She asked, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. There must have been something about the way he said her name. Because she turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, it means teacher. And she must have grabbed a hold of him because Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And there is something significant about a Jesus who constantly spoke about his Father, who constantly spoke about his God, telling him, her now, that it was her God, that it was her Father. Yes, he's already accomplished the crucifixion. Yes, he's already accomplished the resurrection. But don't hold on to me, girl, because there's still some work to do. I've got to go see my disciples. I've got to appear before at least 500 people and 40 days from now I'm going to command all those people to go to every single part of the world to tell them about me and I'm going to ascend back to heaven don't hold on because there's still work that I've got to do and in verse 18 Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news I have seen not just a cursory glance not just after some kind of careful study but seen and believed it's really him. I have seen the Lord. And she told him the things that he had said to her. Fast forward on the evening of that first day of the week. Later that night when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came, locked the door, came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I love this. John Piper explains, Jesus can go into places in your life that nobody else can get to. Like there's no place that you can hide from him. There's places that you can hide from me. You don't have to tell me who you really are. You don't have to tell one another who you really are. You don't have to be completely honest and open and vulnerable with each other. But there is absolutely no place, no corner of your heart that you can wall off where you can lock a door and hide it from Jesus. And notice what he brought when he came. He comes to the spot where they need him to be the most, the place where they were locked away. And he says, peace be with you. You, there's no walled off part of your heart that Jesus Christ cannot penetrate. And after this, in verse 20, he said, He showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw not just a hey, cursory glance, not, not just some kind of careful study, but when they saw and believed it really is the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. Sometimes I need to hear that twice. 
And God's okay if I pause right now and just say it again. Peace be with you. Like the spots that are messed up, the spots that are broken, the spots that are hidden, peace be with you. And he says that the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said it was a foreshadowing to the fact that the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 was going to come. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. He's saying that what I did was final. It's once and for all. Forgiveness is real and it's attainable and it's only through Jesus. And here's the thing that makes most of us miss Jesus. Many of us, many people in the world, the reason that we miss Jesus is because we're searching in the wrong place. They came looking for him in a tomb. He's not there. So many of us are still searching for Jesus in the wrong place. And really beyond that, we're actually searching for the wrong Jesus. Thinking he was the gardener. She totally mistook who he was. And he was right there and she didn't recognize him. Sometimes Jesus is right there and we don't recognize him and we don't believe in him because we're looking for the wrong Jesus in the wrong place. You know, I understand that people back then missed it. They missed all the prophecy. They missed all the truth. They missed all the culminating reasons that the Messiah was literally standing right there in front of them. That's because the Pharisees, way back when Jesus was born, they weren't paying attention to the star. That's because all the Jewish townspeople, when they were looking for a Messiah, they certainly weren't going to assume that he was going to be a guy that came out of Nazareth, the chief priest and the religious elders and the elite, they certainly weren't going to reconcile that God's chosen Messiah was going to be the son of a carpenter. And the Roman Empire, who wasn't looking for a Messiah at all, if they were, it certainly wasn't going to be a Jew. And yet here he was. What are you looking for today? Like what would make you finally say yes to him today? I resonate with people who sometimes miss Jesus because they're looking for the wrong Jesus or because they're looking in the wrong place for Jesus. Sometimes I think that an entire corner of the heritage of the faith that I grew up in has led us to look in all the wrong places and that we're no different from the Jewish crowds back then that wanted to crucify him because they couldn't reconcile the fact that this guy was finally the guy that God was going to send to restore them once and for all. Because back then they were looking for a powerful Jesus. They were looking for a military Jesus. They were looking for a political Jesus. They were looking for a national Jesus. They were looking for a grant us authority Jesus. And we're still looking for the same thing. People are out there power grabbing on behalf of Jesus saying, I'll wipe the floor with the sinners that are around us in your name, Jesus. And the reason that we recognize Jesus and the reason why the world doesn't see Jesus is because we're painting a picture of the wrong Jesus. We're looking for dressing your really nice clothes, Jesus. Y'all do look nice today, by the way. I invite you to take a photo before you leave. It's Easter. But it doesn't matter what you look like. And yet we're looking for a Jesus that's sitting at the right table, eating with the right people, and making the right objectives. We want Jesus to be on the winning side of every election and on the right side of every argument. And we want to be right there with him. He likes us best. Sometimes so sadly, the most frustrating part about church politics or church leadership or even just loud and proud church membership is that we often get really mad at the world for not looking like Jesus 
when it's probably our fault because we've been showing them the wrong one. And we haven't been a very good place to look. I just want to say that you may have not found a Jesus that you can believe in. And golly, I know that there have been moments when the church has made that more difficult. Whether or not you can find him, he knows exactly where you are. And he can step right into that and bring peace into the middle of that. So if you continue on in verse 24, there was one that was missing. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus the twin, okay, one of the twelve, he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. He missed that entire moment. He's not inside the locked room waiting to see what was going to happen next. And Jesus broke in. He's missing. And so the other disciples, they went and told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see, see, examine, touch, I will not believe. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into the side that was pierced, I will not believe. And so a week later, seven days His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he looked at Thomas, and he said to Thomas directly, Put your finger here, and the railroad spike-sized scar, my wrist and my hands, put, put, Reach out your hand and put it into my side where the spear went in and the blood and water came out. And then he says, stop doubting and believe. Not once but twice Jesus came into a locked door. And this is the thing that on Easter, more than any other day, we don't want to miss. Don't miss the sound of his voice. That it's Jesus saying your name. John chapter 10 tells us that that's how we recognize him. He calls his sheep by name and he leads them out. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. He says, my sheep listen to my voice, John 10, 27, and I know them and they follow me. Jesus knows who you are and he calls your name. It's his voice that you need to hear. It's not my voice. It's not Monica's voice. It's not Joel's voice. It's not some kind of preacher that you're listening to on a podcast voice. It's not some book that you read. It's literally the voice of Jesus calling your name and when you hear it you will know it because here's what he says peace be with you we get comfort from his words his words bring comfort peace be with you and from him we get an invitation the invitation an invite of his to believe what's keeping you from believing in Jesus stop doubting and believe he told Thomas maybe it's logic maybe it's science maybe it's history maybe it's trauma maybe it's that you encountered some people who said they believed in Jesus one time and they were so mean you can't even fathom believing in that kind of Jesus. I don't know what it is that would make you afraid to stand up and say yes to him. But everything that's in here, it says so clearly, what's included is intent to help us believe and to have life. It says in verse 30 that Jesus performed many other signs. I wonder what they were. Many other signs 
in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. I don't know what was on the cutting room floor. I don't know what didn't make it into John chapter 20, but I'm so glad that the part about Thomas did because you and I need the part about Thomas. We need the part that says it's okay to doubt. We need the part that says it's okay to try to figure this out. We need the part that says, okay, I've looked and I've studied, but I need the kind of encounter that's gonna help me believe. He says, these are written, verse 31 that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Savior, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What do we believe? That Christ died for us. We said yes to Christ's death being for us. What do we believe? That Christ didn't stay dead that he rose and that he lives and that he has sent us to tell everybody else in the world we have seen. We didn't just glance. It wasn't because we studied, but it's because we believed. I want you to take that card that you have, the one at the bottom of your worship guide. It's perforated so that later on when the offering baskets are passed, you can drop it in. I hope you've already written your name on the front. If you put your birthday, we'll send you a card. And we really want your email address because we want to follow up with you later this week. But on the back of it, it has options. We don't always put these here. There's a place for prayer requests on the bottom, but there's, there's these four bubbles that you can check. The first is A, I am accepting Jesus Christ. I'm saying yes to the question, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that he died a criminal's death on a cross for your sins so that you might be redeemed and reconciled to God? If this is your once and for all, yep. I'm not just glancing anymore. Uh, I'm not pouring through and studying and observing and trying to figure this out on my own anymore. I'm believing. I'm trusting. I'm placing my faith in him for the first time. Check that box. B is, I believe in Jesus. Maybe that happened last week. Maybe it happened two weeks ago. Maybe it happened two years ago. Maybe it's been going on a long time in your life. Yes, I believe in Jesus, but I want to take my next step. I want to be baptized. This is not only believing in Jesus. This is telling other people that you believe in Jesus. This is telling the story of what Jesus did for us when he died and was buried and came back to life. And you're ready to take that next step declaration of faith. And it does not mean that you've got it all figured out. Mercy, that third grader doesn't. But what it means is that you're saying yes. Not only do I believe, but I will follow. The next one is C. That's probably a bunch of people in this room. That you're committed. You're his disciple and you're living your life for him. You definitely mess up, so do I. But, but you're living your life for Christ. And you're saying yes to him every day, all day, in every way. Yes, Jesus. Or D, I don't know. Be bold and check that box. Be Thomas, unless I see something different than what I've seen before. Unless somebody explains it in a different way than they've explained it before. Unless I actually hear the voice of God saying, my name, I just don't believe yet. Just be bold like Thomas and say, I don't know yet. Check that box. It says, but I'd like to talk more with someone. Spoiler alert, the someone might be me, and I would love nothing more than to talk with you about what it means to say yes to him. Happy Easter. I'm so glad you're here. 
I want this day to mean more than just a holiday where we get dressed up and check a box. I want it to be the day that we said yes for the first time or for the hundredth time to Jesus because he's alive. He's calling our names and we get to follow him. Father, we thank you for the chance to be in this place, to sing your praise, to tell you that we believe in you even when it's hard, to listen close while you call our name and say words to us and invite us to believe and to follow. Jesus, be lifted up. Holy Spirit, do the work of drawing us close. We need you. So the answer is yes. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with someone in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.